Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast, your creatively conscious mortality podcast. My name's Ned Buskirk, your host for this this mortally confronting audio experience. Um, And it is that, you know, we're just just being real. We're all going to die eventually. But I think also acknowledging that, I think, makes room for us to just be raw and real and honest about the things that matter, the things that need to be said, the things that need to be shared with community. And so the podcast is just another version of that. We get to get here and have conversations here with incredibly wonderful fellow mortals and share it with you. So thank you for being willing and down to lean into this fact of our life. We're all going to die. And the podcast, by the way, it really has been a compulsion for years and just couldn't quite get to it. But the pandemic really forced my hand on figuring it out because the pandemic asked us to connect to people when we couldn't gather in person. And so the podcast really was created out of that, like trying to create a version of what we do as an organization and get it to people and connect community in that way. But also during the pandemic, we Again, couldn't do any of our in-person open mics, our in-person gatherings, our in-person events. We had a a concert to celebrate our 10-year anniversary right before the pandemic, sold out the independent here in San Francisco, uh, like 700 people, and then the pandemic happened. Bam, gone. No togetherness in person. And so we started doing things online. And the podcast came out of that. And our online open mic, we started doing our online open mic figuring out a way to be together as weirdly sci-fi as it was. And I even when I hear, especially the music we used to play to start the open mic, I love it. I love all the music. We have a wonderful playlist that I, maybe I'll link in the show notes that has a bunch of music from our, our community and also other music that, that I love that would help kind of set the scene, set the mood for every online open mic. When I hear some of those songs, I feel both like nostalgia in the sweetest way, but also like, oh, it's hard. And, you know, just to be be real here, it's it's we're still in it. It's trippy. We're getting back to doing in person, but we know it's complicated. Um, but during the pandemic, the heart, the heart, the heat of the pandemic, we we did the online open mics. And, and really, I truly believe there's people we got connected to that we wouldn't have been connected to otherwise, that we would have maybe never met if we hadn't been doing those online open mics every month. Um, as hard as it was even to do those sometimes, I know for sure it was worth it. And usually I'd know just because we'd be together. Like so many things I do with You're Going to Die, at first I'm like, oh, can my heart handle this? Or or am I just like stubbornly not wanting to do this? I don't want to do this. And then you get there and it's like, oh, of course, it's totally worthwhile. It's so worthwhile. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why it was worthwhile is because I met Elton Beardy. And that's this episode's guest. Elton Beardy 
is a cultural educator, storyteller, writer, among many things, based in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. He's worked with youth um, outreach, teaching the cultural importance of the pipe, just as an example. I mean, I cannot list all the things that Elton does in the world. In fact, when we were talking, we were trying to to get to what that is for him. And then I was like, hey, that sounds like what I do, which is just a, a lot of different uh, contexts. And, and usually, though, this showing up to try to connect heart to heart with people and um, be with community and heal. And that's so much of what Elton's about. We're like brothers from other mothers. And we even acknowledge that in our, in our conversation you're about to hear. Laughter and easy tears with this guy. And I'm feeling really sweetly loving as I am recording this and imagining sharing it because I'm sharing it as much just for my love for you, Elton. I'm talking to you um, right now. Like what it's meant to be connected to you and to have these conversations over... um, the many months since we first met in the open mic and the the prayers you've read and the singing that you've shared with me and your words. Um, And now we get to share all that with you listeners. And I, you know, I don't know that there's more to say. I just, I do want to really accent the context for Elton working with indigenous peoples, especially and, and another part of his work is with the St. Joseph's Care Group in the medical context um, up in Canada, uh, whether from urban or remote northern communities, uh, indigenous people have unique challenges to ensuring their health care needs are met. And, and Elton works in the context of indigenous relations. So the program he works for does a lot of different things to support indigenous peoples in the medical context. And I'm going to just link... Uh, you up in the show notes to all those those pieces and and get right to the conversation with Elton. So I hope you get a little of what you need, maybe in the ways you know you need it, because you've been listening to the show for a while and you can you find something reliable here and you're going to get it again today. Um, but I also kind of um, feel excited about the ways you might not know you need this episode of You're Going to Die the Podcast with Elton Beardy. I remember vividly that there were these moments as a child that I I that 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 marked me that mm-hmm. settled into me in ways that I didn't realize at the time so deeply that I would feel the effect of that years down the road mm-hmm. and really I remember you know, I, I remember my mom, my mom crying a lot, you know, mm-hmm. at the bedside and, you know, pressing the button for her, for, for her nurse or for her doctor and really being in pain. And those were the moments when my dad would take me out and, you know, we would, we would go and we would say that, you know, he would just say that your mom, you know, your mom has an appointment and, 
and they'd be like so abrupt. They'd be very abrupt. And at the time, you know, the first few times it happened, I never really quite realized that my mom was in so much pain. I just knew that she wanted, I, I knew that she just wanted to feel cared for and mm-hmm. to be acknowledged and to be heard and to be witnessed. Mm-hmm. And I remember one time she ha- we we had been visiting for about an hour and during that time she would go quiet sometimes and she'd be so still and she would just be trying and she, and she would be quietly crying because of just how much pain she was in mm-hmm. and and I remember that I I remember that so vividly and you know <laughs> like a, a I I realize now so much of what I have been carrying and what I have been, you know, experiencing throughout these this la- these this last these these years of being on this earth was just those those echoes those mm-hmm. those echoes that that travel through, you know, that travel mm-hmm. through your family and 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 so you know I I, I remember. <clears throat> that day last June, just you know, I had to. I, I I hugged my brother and I told him that I would talk to him later. And I just had this surreal moment where I was walking through the halls of this hospital and really vividly being with that little six-year-old boy, that little seven-year-old boy, and feeling him, feeling his presence, and. Mm-hmm remembering just how lost he was and remembering just how confused he had been in witnessing and and and, and carrying you know his mother's pain yeah and you know because i i talked to you about how much my mom means to me and mm-hmm. how much you know how she was how much of the world she encapped how how much of the world she held for me and mm-hmm. That she was. Yeah, yeah, that she was for me and mm-hmm. that she still is. And, mm-hmm. and you know, because my mom was my best friend and she was everything that I had ever really, you know, needed in terms of, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know, like, you know, most, like, you know, my mom was like the best mom ever, <laughs> you know? You know? <laughs> well, not everybody feels that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, mean, I do, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's, it's kind of also the point. Yeah. You know? It's like who our moms are to exactly. us, you know, it's, it's such a relatable, <laughs> relatable relationship, yeah, you know, like who they, and the power of that though, that weaves through that, that's what's unique to me listening to you and that I really relate to. Cause I say, and I, I'm sure I told you this before, but you know, it's just that feeling of walking into those the hospital rooms so often. It's like I'm I'm imagining like I'm walking into her room, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a way that she's there already waiting for me, or that I'm bringing her into that space Absolutely. that I can definitively say I am in that room because of her. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way she was my world led to me being in the world in a certain way. Absolutely. And that's what I hear you describing, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think is, it's like, I guess even that, maybe everybody could say with their mom, there's a version of that, you know, yeah. uh, a version of how we're in the world because our moms were our world. But I just want to acknowledge the power of 
the that regularity with with her presence you know mm-hmm. i mean can you can you can you relate to that it's like you maybe a day doesn't go by that you're at the hospital where she's not there you know mm-hmm. in a thought or energetically whatever it is mm-hmm. um do you feel that you know absolutely i um you know i was i was going to say that because of this because of her constant presence in my life um you know, even seven years on after her death, it's for me. You know, when I when I think about my mom, it's she's just in the next room. Mm-hmm. You know, she's there waiting for me, and mm-hmm. and you know, she's even here in the room right now. And when as we're speaking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And our moms are like doing a podcast, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably laughing with themselves. Look at our boys. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> yeah, what in the hell? <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, but yeah, she's here now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's actually a really important. Um, uh, it's actually a really important way of uh, considering ancestral continuity in you know my culture, because mm-hmm. you know in kind of our way of looking at things, you know, your ancestors are kind of always with you. And mm-hmm. really through, you know, our, my culture in terms of, you know, the knowledge that I carry in terms of the practices that that I carry out, um, all of that, everything that I do and everything that I am is because of my mother and it's because of her mother and it's because of, you know, every single one of my ancestors, the absolute truth of my life is that I am not here on my own and I'm not on my own. And, you know, each and every single time that I wake up, you know, I, I always try to, I always wake up with what's called a, what's, what's called a smudge, and what that is, it's essentially you know, you're burning sage. So it's, mm-hmm. um, it's more, it's, uh, it's very, it's pretty much, if not very similar to, if not the same thing as you know, burning incense and mm-hmm. really cleansing the area and really cleansing yourself. But in our way, um, this is called nuquesigan, and that is just when you burn sage, you know, it, it cleanses you of, I guess the weight that you carry, you know? So, you know, if something's troubling you, if you feel, you know, grief, if you feel anger, if you feel any sort of thing that you feel burdened by, you know, that sage, that medicine is going to help you. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I actually was burning some sage earlier, right before we started. And, um, I just really said my prayer, you know, mm-hmm. for for our conversation, uh, for you, you know, and mm-hmm. for the way that the world is <laughs> going right now. And, um, yeah. you know, for me, when I do this, when I really take some time to really connect with, with my being, with my spirit, you know, in the morning and even, you know, at night, it's, it's an active return and mm-hmm. it's an active return and it's, it's me returning to my spirit. Mm. And so, you know, when I, and when I do that, I am inherently 
also returning to my ancestors in that in that in that in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's for me that's it's it's just so important to really think about you know the work that I do and really the life that I live to to, to understand that mm-hmm. I'm not alone. When I think about that choice, when I think about or that ability to have a choice or maybe you know my lack of a choice, you know, in terms of our culture, my culture, you know, it's believed that each and every single person, you know, has a purpose. And mm-hmm. this purpose is found in our spirit names and in our clans, our, um, you know, in our nationhood. And the ceremonies that were given to us. And, you know, for me, if I were to, you know, maybe I should have started out with this. <laughs> this no, this is, but, this feels like just the right time to get to it, really. Yeah, yeah but, um, you know, if I were to traditionally introduce myself, um, yes. you know, I, w- I would say this, you know, Buju and you know, hello, all my relations, uh, I'm the one that they call you know, Westman and my them. My clan is the wolf. Uh speak and don't And where I'm from is uh, you know, Kitchenamake Sippin and Wick. Um so that right there is kind of like my traditional introduction, right? And yeah, it's not <laughs> it's so much more than cultural practitioner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because <laughs> yeah. this you know, my cultural identity is my spiritual mm. identity. You know, everything in my culture, you know, it's it's spiritual. It's inherently spiritual. And what's inherently, you know, what's spiritual is inherently in everything else, you know? Mm. And mm-hmm. for me to be able to say my name, you know, to, for me to even have a spirit name, to, to even have my spirit name, and to have my clan and to have this community, my homeland that I come from. Like so, every time I do, like I, every, every time I acknowledge that, it's, I, I, I cry because I'm so grateful that <laughs> this was carried for me. Mm. By the ones who came before. Mm-hmm. Because they survived. Because this knowledge survived. I did too. Mm-hmm. That healing work was already set in place before I even stepped on this earth. Mm. And, and you know, to realize that I belong to people, to, to my people is yeah. the most like an heartening thing <laughs> for me and and you know <laughs> the funny thing is Ned you know like yeah I have friends who are going to be listening to this podcast who are going to be like what is he talking about like he he is not that person in his personal life you know like he is like the most like guarded sarcastic person that I've ever known you know and this is probably the first time yeah. that they're ever going to hear me cry <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> I, I have those places and people too. We can't do it all day. It's like they exist so we don't have to sometimes. You know, it's like, do I have to cry everywhere? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, so, you know, <laughs> I, um, I, uh, you know, I really just, you know, step into this, this presence that, Mm-hmm. You know that is inherent within my name, within my you know the perp- within the work of my clan, and within you know the ancestors um, that I come from. You know, and and culturally speaking, you know everyone has a spirit name, everyone has a clan, everyone has ancestors from their homeland that they've that they've come from. Just wanted to pop in here real quick and uh, see if you could help out with something. I know you've already kind of tuned off. You're like, oh, here's the spiel. Um, But I'm going to keep it really simple and easy for you. Listen, 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 listen. Don't stop listening. Listen, listen to me for a sec. We need you. And this is it. I'm just going to say one thing that you can do right now. I think what our team would love is, um, is to feel the love or even just the like um, for the podcast from you. And the way I'm asking you to do that is just, listen, if you're listening on Spotify, there's a star rating option right now. I'm talking to you listening on Spotify, pick up your phone or whatever it is you're using to listen on Spotify and click the star rating preferably five stars, please. But also I understand if you're not feeling it that much, like someone could listen to this show regularly and think it's a four star show getting into the three stars. I don't know if I want to know your opinion. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but maybe there's ways that you could let us know how to better what we do without communicating it with a three-star rating. Just write us at pod at YG2D.com and say, Hey, I, I like the show but I have three star feelings about the show. You know what would bump it to a four star or a five star? Ned needs to not talk as much. It might be a feeling, but I'm just saying, let us know. Pod at YG2D. That's for all of you that would probably give a star rating of three or less. But for those of you that are feeling the fours or the fives, note so. Do note so on Spotify. Okay, another better option, or it is a better option because you actually can put words to how you're feeling. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts, same thing, you can do a rating. You can just do like a a star rating, but you can also share some words. And we love those words. We read those words. And sometimes we read those words on the show. So this is my request. I actually don't know if any other way people listen to podcasts, if you can rate it. But you know, if you use any other podcast platforms for listening to you're going to die the podcast you probably know about the rating system and you know that it matters a lot so 
all the ways we can support the show. There's a long list, but for today, I'm just asking you, listen, I'm getting quieter to get your attention. If you can just take less than 30 seconds of your life, your little fragile friggin' fleeting life and rate a podcast. Boy, when you put it that way, it sounds ridiculous, but it'll help get You're Going to Die the podcast into more ears. So let's take a moment, if you will, to do that now. We'll have like a musical interlude. So it's just, we're going to hold you for a sec. Nick Jaina, his sound magic will take care of you for roughly 30 seconds while you rate the show. Okay, go. Jaina, that's me, sound designer, producer. Ned asked me to come in here and introduce this next segment because it's a poem that came out of one of my writing workshops, out of a poetry workshop that I do. And the prompt that I gave was to write a prayer. And usually when I give this prompt in writing workshops, there's a certain amount of hesitation or eye rolling or... Uh, resistance to the idea of writing a prayer. Either people have had bad experiences writing a prayer or they've just never done it because it sounds uh, like a bad thing to do or it leads to bad things or it leads to nothing, I guess. Most people probably think it leads to nothing. But I think just as a form of writing, as a form of changing your heart, your acceptance of a situation, writing a prayer is a really wonderful thing. Uh, Anne Lamott said that three steps of writing a prayer are help, thanks, wow. The help is that you ask somebody for help. You petition somebody. The thanks is uh, gratitude for somebody listening. And the wow is just expressing wonder at something in the world. So what you will hear now is a poem written by one of my students, Francesca Hernandez Singer. Uh, I feel weird even saying that she's one of my students because she's just a great poet already. Uh, But this came out of one of my workshops and I was just so in awe of this poem that I wanted to set music to it and play it here on the show. I thought it would be appropriate, especially for this episode. Just uh, this moment where you get to when you just, you right before giving up, you offer a prayer. So go to nickjana.com if you want to participate in writing workshops like that. This is Francesca Hernandez Singer with a piece called Petitioning Mirth. Though our time be short and trials deep, work endless and days repeat, I humbly ask one gift of thee, that you, twister of lips into smiles, bestower of big laughs, coaxer of all kind deeds, 
pour your honey into my child as you have to me. So that perhaps she, traversing this great ruin, may greet all things terrible or divine. With a light heart and shining eyes, resisting brittleness in the relentless world. So the Truth and Reconciliation Commission um, was a direct result of um, the Indian Residential School System, uh, Indian Residential School System uh, Settlement Agreement. And what that was, it was pretty much like the largest class action settlement in Canadian history. And, um, and, um, and so what the residential school system was, was, um, it was established in like towards the end of the 1800s, the late 1800s. Uh, and, uh, it was really, there's this quote um, that really speaks to that really speaks to kind of what these schools you can't even call them schools these mm-hmm. these places were designed to do and 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 what it was designed to do was to kill the Indian and the child. And and so this 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 system was, uh, you know, funded by the Department of Indian Affairs here in Canada, and it was actually administered by Christian churches. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, it's from. Every indigenous person, it's you. F- you feel it. Mm-hmm. You know it. And we've all experienced this. The effects of this shadow, this wound, mm-hmm. in one way or another. And and so this, um, you know, I think. The official numbers were estimating that around like 150,000 indigenous children were, um, you know, taken from their families and they were put into this uh, to, into the school system. And mm-hmm. at these school systems, you know, they were essentially dehumanized and they were abused and they were killed. You know, it's both my parents went to residential school, and mm. and I, and every time I think about it, I think about my mom, and I think about I think about the fact that everything that I witnessed in her struggle mm. to live was a direct result of her experience in the residential school system. I think about 
my dad and I think about his struggles with his mental health and with his addictions, mm -hmm. I think about everything that he went through. You know, like... He was number 28 at the school that he went to. Like that's how they would refer to him? Yeah. Like he would be there and no one would even know his name? At least not the people. Not the people that were that meant were to care for the him. School. Yeah, right. Not the people that were running in school. Yeah. This 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 story, you know, on the CBC, this Connie Walker story, I'm not sure that you heard it or not, but, um, you know, one of the things that really struck me that I feel like you've even connected your work to is she says at one point in the story that it, it's not even, it's not even, all the destructive, abusive things that happened to those children as much as it is like the loneliness of that. That's really what struck her, you know, and, and listening to her own grandfather yeah. who was in the school, this, the loneliness, you know. And that's not to mention like all the other horrific things. And so when I hear you talk about your work at the hospital and that programming that what that medicine is more than anything. It's so many things, but what that medicine is more than anything is like you said, it's, you're not alone, you know, like I'm here. Like the surprise is someone, someone's surprised because they're realizing they're not alone. Like that you're there showing up, connecting them. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely don't mean to like understate all the other things that happen in these schools, but that piece, the taking children away from their families and not letting them return. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm so, I, you know, I just want to say, Elton, I did, you know, I didn't mean to. I hope it's okay that we kind of went into this direction because I do feel it. I mean, you obviously wanted to talk about mm. it, but I know how much is, I can obviously, there's so much there. Yeah, and and really it would it would be so, it would be, it, it would be, a fa it would be a moral failure. It would be a complete failure on my part as someone who walks in the way that my in, in the in the spiritual way that my ancestors did. If I did not talk about what my parents and what my grandparents and what mm. countless what those generate what their generations went through. <laughs> Yeah. What my generation right. continues to go through. What I this understand. next generation has inherited mm. because of the result of this system that was designed to eradicate our culture, our people. Mm -hmm. 
I we have to carry these stories, Ned. Mm-hmm. I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we are to remember these atrocities, if we are to remember these children that have been found, if we want to honor their lives, we have to carry the story of their suffering and their loss. Yeah. And the grief of everything that they experience in their short time here. If we want to remake this world makes sense for our children, we have to carry this pain and we have to remember it well. Because if we forget, if we don't, who will remember? Who will? Because the reality the reality of that I understand through my culture and through my spirituality is that they're still here. They're still watching. Mm-hmm. And I cannot I can't imagine that When I'm done, when my time is over, when my time is done here, going home to my ancestors Mm. and telling them I did not remember, Mm. I did not remember them, Mm. that I did not honor them in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I really know this beginning connecting to our mothers and what it means to bring them into these rooms you walk into, your mother. But to think very clearly to me that you're carrying these children, the lineage, these ancestors, your people into every room, like showing up. For community like that, that you're not just remembering, you're also in action. In in and I can see and feel like you when you say how humbling it is. All of that in a day's work, not just the significance, but also the weight of it. You know that it shouldn't all be on you, but that it is what you want to do what you know you must do and to be able to, to be able to have rooms to go into and already knowing you too as someone who has spent years like looking for where to take it to where, for where to show up. And so then maybe really getting what you said when we started talking and like the deepening, the quickening of these last nine months, the arrival. Yeah. So it's, um, so in my position, you know, I, I, I work with pretty much the entire hospital. And 
you know, we have our our palliative care and as well as like our you know transition uh, floor. So, uh, yeah, there's 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 a hospice wing, and I've had already like a number of patients who have been in hospice and uh, who have since passed on that I have had established relationships with through through the program and through, um, you know, just our visiting. And, you know, I remember the, one of my first clients, actually, um, he was in hospice and I visited with him over a series of about six, eight, six to eight weeks. And, you know, during that time, um, a lot of that, you know, a lot of our visits were very short, but, you know, 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, because it was, it was so difficult for him to, um, to speak and to really just hold attention and, um, because of his condition and, you know, one of the proudest and hardest days of this of this job of this role so far, you know, was really the day that he gave me his last requests and his last words. And his last words were don't forget me. And I went in that weekend, the following weekend, to spend time with him. And we weren't saying anything. He, he couldn't speak anything above more than a whisper. And I was sitting there that Saturday afternoon, just being with him and and really realizing, you know, in my mind that this was, is one that this could possibly, possibly be one of the defining acts of my life in witnessing the end of, of another's. And, you know, he helped. And so he kind of reached out and, and I held his hand for a good, good two hours and then, you know, he was, he, he was, he, he was a kind, he was a kind gentleman. And he told me that, you know, it was okay to go. Because uh, by that time, you know, we were communicating and yes or no answers. You know, he would, I would just look in his eyes and, you know, he'd move, he'd shake them or he would go up and down. And... You know, he told me that it was okay to let go, you know, and, and one of, and so one of the, for me, one of the most proud things that I could say about this role was that, you know, one of the things that he had talked about in our first few visits was this, uh, was, uh, asking for a thunder stick. And so in our, in, in my culture, in our culture, uh, he and I's culture, there's, um, you know, we believe that we believe in things called bundles and bundles are a collection of sacred items that we believe hold spirits. Um, 
within those items and those items, those spirits are meant for the holder of the bundle. They're helping spirits who are called to this earth to assist or to really conduct the work that needs to be done, that this, that the person who holds the bundle needs to carry out. And so he'd always talked about it because he, he wanted to be a, a traditional dancer. And uh, so a thunderstick, um, you know, would traditionally be held by, you know, a traditional immense traditional dancer. And um, as a, as a form of meditation and prayer, um, and, you know, he, and so, you know, it was very fitting for him because he was in, you know, the fight for his life. And, you know, as someone who, you know, was battling this, this illness. And, and so <clears throat> when, you know, he began to decline, that was when, you know, the team and I really, um, we went out and um, we called upon one of our, um, one of our dear friends. Uh, and he's a, he's a, he's also a helper. He's a, you know, he's a conductor of ceremonies and uh, he's just a really wise um, knowledge carrier. And we had him, you know, create a thunder stick for, for him. And, we went in that night, um, that Friday night, the, the that Friday night, and we delivered to him. And I remember the breath that he took, the deep breath that he took, and the look in his eyes that it brought him this deep fulfilling pride, this strength that was revealed in him. And, you know, to have been there and to have witnessed that was so beautiful. And that he got to have that during his last few hours here on earth. And so this work, um, my particular role, you know, often has somehow, you know, I've just happened to have to be, uh, you know, sometimes I'm called in situations where uh, a client is end of life and I do have to uh, be there with them and I, you know, to be either with them or with their family and, you know, in the culture, you know, the end of life is seen as something of a transition. It's, you know, not necessarily the end. It's simply, again, a return. It's a return home. And, and I remember singing to this elder and really, cause he, um, his family wanted, you know, a song for him and he wanted, they wanted, um, a smudge for him. And I, I smudged, I smudged him and, um, uh, 
when I sang for him, I sang this song that talks about, you know, our purpose here, um, why we were created. And, and so the song talks about, you know, that ultimate reason, which is love, that we are inherently loved by creation and that we, our spirits, are what it is. It's love. That we were created in and of love. And I was, I was singing this song to, you know, this elder who lived such a long and full life. You know, he went. And and to have witnessed, you know, the power of our ceremonies and our songs and our teachings in such a way, you know, I, I can't help but want be to just wonder. At just marvel at, at 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 the power of the you know spirit, and you know that day you know one of the most important things that you can do in this way of life is to uh, put out your offerings and offerings in the form of you know a little birch bark dish full of food. Uh, and then, you know, some water and tobacco. Tobacco is also one of the four sacred medicines, and it's the primary uh, medium for which uh, prayer happens. Um, and, you know, every time it's, you know, whether... And so there are ceremonies called feast, feasting ceremonies. And traditionally they happen... Um, you know, as as a form of celebration, and you know whether you're marking the birth of a of a child or really even you know the death of a loved one. Traditionally, our people used to have feasts, and at each of these feasts, some food was set aside for our ancestors to, as a form of invitation to come and eat with us, uh, to be fed in the in in the way that. Um, they once were in this life, and and so as well, you can you know do those offerings, those that those feasting ceremonies for your bundle, so your sacred items. So, for example, you know a bundle might look like a an eagle feather, a drum, um, you know, a dancing staff. You know, a person's regalia. Um, and those items will be, again, you know, it's just it's just the same as me and you, you know, waking up in the morning and eating breakfast, drinking water. You know, we're replenishing ourselves. That is very much the same thing. And, and so the caretaker of that bundle is the one who takes on that work to do that work to do to 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 kind of return a little bit of our own wealth in terms of food and our own 
to return just a little bit of what we've been given back. You know, it's because humility is when, you know, one of our seven sacred teachings and that's a very, that's one of the most important things that I was ever taught was how to do my feasting ceremonies, you know, to, and, and the thing, and the thing is, it's so simple because, you know, we're, I'm, I was always told when I was learning that, you know, if I put out my offerings for things that I'm thinking about, for things that I'm wondering about, put out your offerings and the answer is going to come at some point. You know, that that's those are what my elders told me. That's what they taught me. And they said, you know, to trust the process, you know, trust that, trust spirit. And, you know, and so, you know, if there's anything that in, in the way of that example that I can kind of like leave someone with is just, you know, the next time you're lonely or the next time you're wondering about something, you know, before you eat your next meal, you know, take some, take some off just a little bit. It doesn't have to be, you know, half of it, just a little bit is more than enough for them. And you just, you, you put that out. You put that out on the east side of a tree, you know, or in the water or somewhere on the land, you know, especially the ones, the places where that are important to you. Those are really very special places. And you do that and you put out a little bit of tobacco, you say a prayer, you express what you're putting out this offering for. And you create there, and, and you create through that a relationship with spirit. And in this way, you know, there is this inheritance that you are given that is revealed to you. And and so, you know, after each and every single one of those, like, you know, those those people that I've worked with and those friends that I've lost, you know, that's what, that's what really carried me, you know, through, you know, my own pain and my own healing was really offering just a little bit of what I've been given back. Because reciprocity is also a teaching. Reciprocity is one of the most sacred principles that the Anishinaabeg believed in. And so I just, uh, I, I really wanted to talk about that, or I really wanted to share that, you know, with, with you and with, with our listeners, because it's, it's important. The ones there waiting for us. You know, the ones who are watching, it's important for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you, Elton. I'm wondering if um, if you felt capable of, and it felt like it was okay, if it was okay to sing the song right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> My voice is probably going to sound all nasally because I've been crying. 
<laughs> join the club, join the club.
Just want to say thank you so much to Elton um, for showing up during this pandemic and becoming friends, not just with me, but with our community. And uh, if you want to connect to Elton, you'll find all the ways to do that in our liner notes um, and check out some of the stories that I referenced too. I, I really, it's, it's um, of course, you know, the show itself is a lot sometimes to be with and there's so much that comes up in these episodes and that's the point, you know, and I know there's community that needs it and wants it and can do it. Um, but I also know it's not for everybody. That being said, some of the research and reading and work that I was doing to get prepared for this conversation with Elton, it meant a lot to really be able to listen and talk with him in ways I didn't even realize it would really. And so I want to offer some of those links in the liner notes too, if you want to look into some of the stuff um, that we touched on during this episode that matters so much for understanding the impact of, you know, our system uh, in this country, in the world on communities like uh, Elton's. So, but really deep gratitude to you, Elton. Thank you so much. So glad to be connected. Nick Jana. Hello. Hey, thank you for, I, you know, I didn't talk a ton about this and I, and I mentioned it in the intro, but that, that Elton and I had this big conversation in the beginning, uh, the first round of, of trying to get to this episode that we didn't include any of in the episode, but that was, I think, absolutely essential to us getting to what this episode is. And so I just, I know I said this to you already, but I want to thank you for encouraging us re to reconnect and somehow find completion with what, what we hoped for, for, for the podcast. Yeah. Imagine if every interview had a full oh interview before God. it. Oh my God. Like what I'm feeling time, right now <laughs> about life. Much, much. Oh my goodness. We have a lot of guests on here who aren't on the talk show circuit and like doing interviews all the time. And there, there is, or, or not in show business or, you know, sure authors or whatever, and that there needs to be some negotiation of like, okay, what are we, what are we even talking about? Not just for our sake, but for the show, like, how do we focus this into something, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes that needs more negotiation. Well, we, you know, we talk about, Elton and I talk about this a little bit and some of it's not really included in the edit, but there was a way again for this uniquely that a lot needed to happen actually for both of us, probably immeasurably, but for Elton, definitely in his work and the opportunities that have happened for him in the last six months or so. And so there's just a lot of ways this episode came in uh, to being that were uh, dependent on all that time. And, and also to your point, a, a little bit, I think of Elton and I getting this arrival and what are we, what is this for? You know, how are we really connected? How do we know each other? And it's even 
came through suddenly in him arriving in his work and me relating to that work. But, you know, when we met, he wasn't really doing a lot of that. And so it was really special to have that unfold too in this, this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just really cool to have a place where there can be just a space to uh, grieve something greater than any of our lives, any of our responsibilities, and just place it in the center and just grieve it. And there's no blame. There's no request to fix it. There's no other action necessary. Um, and I, I appreciate you and this organization offering that space because it's a space that I often want a lot mm-hmm. and it can be hard to find in just the average quick tempo friend interaction to just like, look, I'm not saying this, I don't have an angle. I don't, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. this isn't like passive aggressive. I'm not like putting a message out there that like you did something wrong or you need to fix this or anything. Um, You know, it's one of the nice things about therapy is, you know, that you can just say things and the therapist isn't going to be like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they might ask you that, <laughs> <laughs> but you mean like offended defensively? Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, Cause you want to do it. What do you mean? Tell me more, but you mean, yes. Like the reactiveness of some of these topics. Yeah. Like yeah. that we, we risk someone getting hurt or yeah, yeah. Right. And the moment of crying. And I, I admit I had to like edit it down a bit just because uh, uh, there's, you know, a full minute of almost silence that I, mm. I, I don't want listeners to be confused to think that their uh, phone died or something, you know, but uh, even with that edit is still a very substantial moment of just collective grieving where, you know, you wear the mask of the oppressor's race and, and he wears the mask of the oppressed, but there's no mm-hmm. like, let's fight this out or let's deal with this or like, well, but I'm not like that. Or you're not like that. Or what are you talking about? You know, there's just like, yeah, it's, it's horrible. And to just acknowledge that um, can do so much rather than no, I don't have time to listen to that. That was hundreds of years ago or generations ago. We can't talk about that. And Mm -hmm. so I, yeah, I appreciate you again for just allowing that space to exist on something in this case, something like so, so much bigger than any one person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. You know, I, I mean, you know me well enough by now and, and I've said this on the show here and there, but this kind of feeling of not, you know, I appreciate the acknowledgement and also it's just what happens. Um, but I do think with some of the way I spent time beforehand, there was a, whether unconscious or not, there was this ask of even getting the catharsis of crying with Elton. And, um, mm-hmm. I, and I was, I'm glad you brought it up cause I am kind of curious about it for you. If you can maybe even dig in a little deeper to what the experience was like as you're working on it, editing it, but you're also like the first time listener of the content. And I wonder about that moment or, or any of the parts of the conversation. Cause I'm, I'm just kind of still in this. What is this doing for people? What is this doing for you all our listeners? And, um, so I'm wondering if there's a way you can express as kind of the first person always, not even kind of, you're always the first person to listen to what happens in these conversations. What is it? what is it that it does for you? Is there something you can speak to specifically personally with this particular episode? Well, we're in this national discussion right now, uh, at least in some parts about the idea of can our children in school hear difficult facts about our history, you know, 
I don't, I don't even think in a lot of cases, people are saying that these things aren't true. It's just, we don't want kids to hear these because they're so unpleasant. Right. And okay. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's just like a pretense to control information or whatever, you know, maybe that's not, not, uh, maybe that's disingenuous, but that that's the stated reason. And so again, like in a place where there is allowed to just be, just, just, set this thing down and let's look at it and cry. And there's no like defensiveness or, or call to, to fix anything. You know, I know, you know, frankly, like growing up raised as a boy and, and living as a man in the society, how challenging it is to allow something difficult to be expressed to you without feeling like I have to push this away I have to try to f- come up with a solution. I have to like push myself up above this thing to be dominant to it, right? To just allow, and I've learned this from a lot of folks raised as 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 girls and women in the society of let's just hold this collective space, this this truth in this circle, and and that's all. That, that's all that has to happen, you know. And um, for something big like this, when we're in this place, what I see as just like defensive egos that that cannot handle any implication that they've been given any extra privilege or that ill-begotten gains or or anything you know it's just like i want to shut it down i want to push it back into the darkness and um first of all that never works <clears throat> that never <laughs> that never ends the discussion <laughs> not that people are yeah. ever stop trying mm-hmm. um but you know it's the the thing that gives me hope uh, in difficult times like this is a better life awaits all of us. A better life awaits even those people who are um, defensively repressing information, um, oppressing information, who are trying to like push down a- any hint of the truth of our history. Mm. A better life awaits all of us. There is no peace in that. There is no, you know, uh, serenity in that. Even if you seem to have all the power, all the wealth, all the material gains. I still believe like a better life awaits us if we can all do that simple thing, just be in a circle, literally or not, look at something sad in between us and say, well, there it is, you know, mm-hmm. maybe the the very most minimal thing of a declaration of an action point is like, let's not do that again. You know, mm-hmm. let's, let's witness that and not do that again. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, there's a lot coming up for me listening to you describe this because I, I mean, I feel it. It's right in, in so many ways. But you know, what's what's kind of really striking me about it is that one thing I think that's wrong about what you said is that it does work to push it and put it in the closet, but it works for the people that are in pr- privileged enough positions to ignore this stuff and have a lifetime like they think they deserve or that's made for them somehow, you know, like made available to them. And that's what's so wild to me when I think about the podcast and having these kind of conversations and making these spaces is we can, you know, sweep it under the rug. There are closets that can hold it. But what it's not good for, I feel like, is lineage, you know, of of future beings. And certainly for a lot of living humans now during the time of our lives, like someone to sweep it under the, the, the rug because they're somewhere in the world where they can just ignore it. Someone else certainly is, is hurt by that, but the, it's just so, 
suddenly hearing you this clarity that it's really easy just not to deal with this stuff. It actually is really easy. Um, but there's repercussions that we just don't realize. And it's so hard to argue that. It's so hard to tell someone like, no, it's worthwhile. It's worth coming to a show that will make you be with your mortality more than you ever have been. It's hard to say, and this is why, which is trippy too, to be someone who leads these spaces and conversations and have the knowing that I wonder, it, you know, ignorance is bliss somehow, but mm -hmm. there's no, uh, at least in, in, in my being in the world, I guess it does go back to like, I don't see another way but to make room for it. And, uh, and I have all the inclinations of wanting to numb out and not face it. And, you know, the worry that's, that's sort of deep in um, a white man like me, that this is something about me being wrong, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, having to be with that too. Um, the discomfort of that, the confronting nature of all of it. Um, but then this meeting with Elton and being able to have the catharsis though, I guess the last thing I wanted to say that you reminded me of is we just, you know, we have these monthly workshops with our uh, community who have been exonerated from the prison system, innocent, mm -hmm. but have served decades of time um, for some of their sentences. And something really connects to me with this conversation with Elton and the indigenous community. When you hear people say like, literally, you know, you see it online. Sometimes people saying why, you know, it's done. Yeah, we get it. It was bad. It's wrong, but can we move on now? And it's like these people that I meet out of the prison system who are being told like, what else do you want? Like you're free now. And the amount of brokenness and trauma not to mention other stuff that's really actually still a part of the broken system for people who have been exonerated, which is like them getting compensation for the decades of, of their life they spent inside. Um, and they weren't supposed to do that. They were innocent the whole time. But the, the, there's like a third of the states in our country who don't offer compensation for that kind of uh, scenario, which is mind-blowing, but that it's so much a part of our culture. You know, this like, let's just leave it. It's not ours. We're not going to own responsibility. It means someone wants money or whatever, fill in the blank. And that sort of brokenness, that there's no healing for anyone now or in the future uh, of, of our generations, if we don't like start by just making room, you know, mm -hmm. <sighs> thanks Nick. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you. I know it's a lot to like sit down with the whole conversation and, and figure out what's needed for these episodes, but I'll, I'll keep saying it, you know, Every now and then, it just deserves acknowledgement how big a deal it is that you're the first to receive these conversations and what you do to get them into these episodes. So really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And thank you, everybody, all you listeners out there. So, so glad to have found you and your ears. And I, I mean that in a way that connects through all this, like people that are willing to say yes to a show called You're Going to Die, to really be with these hard parts of being mortal and know that there's something waiting on the other side, even if we don't know when we sit and make room what it is, that there's something there. Um, and even if it is just like we're together, you know, we're out here. 
uh, Nick and I on this end and you out there in the world. But uh, if you want to make it more obvious uh, connection, reach out, hit us up at pod at YG2D. You can send us suggestions, advice, feedback. You can also go on uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us, leave us some reviews. Spotify, we officially have been tracking our stars. If you get enough ratings, suddenly it shows up with a little number. I think we have 12 ratings on Spotify tracking right now. Tracking our stars. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> That phrase is so accidentally poetic. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tracking our stars out there. We're so grateful for you. Thanks for listening. I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Until next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.